Hello, and welcome to the Christ Table Podcast, a Bible study for those who struggle with digging into the Bible, but who want to develop a richer faith, one with some meat on its bones. I'm Kevin Young, a media guy turned minister who's passionate about helping others thrive, especially spiritually. If you're unaware, Christ Table is a movement of people returning the church to her roots, in homes, around tables, over food with old friends and fresh conversations. Check us out over at www.christtable.today. In the meantime, our study continues on the topic of perspective shift. We'll be focusing in the book of Acts, chapter 15, verses 1 through 3. Let's dig in. One of the things that we recognize whenever we come to this idea of church is that uh, a lot of religious leaders seem to want church to grow. But usually what tends to happen whenever spiritual or religious people get together is there is controversy. There's disagreement. There's frustration. There's differences of opinion. And all of those things can tend to lead to the opposite of growth. Now, I'm not the type of person who necessarily believes that uh, if the church isn't growing numerically, then it's not doing God's will or not doing well. That, I think, is a particularly American idea that growth is something that can only be measured through butts and seats or bucks in office plates or bricks in new buildings. I think that what we see in the Bible is that growth oftentimes is maybe measured in different, maybe more meaningful ways. And this week we're going to talk about growth that comes through controversy. When we come to our text this morning in chapter 15 of Acts verse 1, we have now just seen Paul and Barnabas complete a year and a half long journey around the Mediterranean, spreading news about Jesus Christ. They have finally returned back home. And we talked about this a little yesterday in the Sunday service. If you haven't seen it, you can feel free to watch that. We talked a little bit about how they had been run out of town by mobs attacked they had been stoned, and Paul had even been left for dead, presumed dead, perhaps even was dead outside of a city. And then Paul and Barnabas, after all of that, go back to those cities for more for a second round on the way home. So they finally arrived back to the sending church, Antioch of Syria. And while Barnabas, verse 1, and Paul were at Antioch of Syria, apparently things were not over for them. Some men arrived from Judea and began to teach the believers, unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, the text is pretty clear about who these men from Judea, from the Judean church were, well, and they are nobodies. The fact that they aren't given any official designation that they were elders, in a church, that they were leaders in a Jewish synagogue, that they were representatives who have been sent out is very key because in this book, Luke, the author, always gives 
the proper designations to people. So the fact that these individuals are both unnamed and have no title means that they were not representing the church or the synagogue. They were representing themselves. Oftentimes, it seems as though those who have the least spiritual authority or understanding tend to speak like they have the most spiritual authority, or if they don't have much understanding, tend to speak the most. Now, this doesn't just happen in spiritual circles. This happens in the workplace. Those who are on the job alongside of you who tend to have the least authority or the least understanding of how to actually operate the company or get the job done are the ones who tend to be the most verbose. This happened to me in school. It probably happened to you in school. If you're in school, it's probably happening to you right now. The the the, the people who are on the project with you you know, doing the group project who, who tend to, to know the least or, or have the least ability to lead are usually the ones who tend to be the least able to see the fact that they have, that they have weaknesses. If this is a work project, a coworker, it's a big deal. If it's affecting your grade, it's a big deal. When I say the church, though, it's not just a big deal. It's also disheartening. <laughs> we expect there to be horses behinds in the workplace, right? I mean, it's not okay. We don't like it, but we're not surprised by it. When we're in school, you're not surprised by the terrible personalities that you see and, and the lack of ability to see your own ability in school. But whenever it happens in a religious circle, it can really rock your world, it can rock our faith, and it can cause us truly to question whether or not we want to be a part of this religious system. You're going to find in religious circles that there are those moments whenever those people who, who know the least or have the least authority in church speak the most or try to maintain the most control. Sometimes the people who know the least may be, may be in positions of leadership in churches. I hate to say it, but I've seen it happen. You've seen it happen. It's disappointing. It's been going on for a long time. So these men, how resist making a gender comment here. These men from Judea, or you might be saying you, you didn't resist it at all, did you? No, no, I didn't. I did it on the DL. Some men from Judea arrived and began to teach believers, unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. What they're saying here is Paul and Barnabas and this church are lying to you. You need to understand that unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. For some religious people, no matter how much you do, it's never going to be enough. For some religious people, 
no matter how many hoops you jump through, it's never going to be enough. Look, look back on this verse. Unless you're circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you can't be saved. You, you know, you've, you've done all these things, but there's one more thing you need to do. You got to be circumcised. I probably don't need to go into all of the reasons why circumcision might have been the line of the sand for these new believers. But you may have a line in the sand as well. And the question is, where where does it stop? Where where is the line in the sand? It's why important it's why it's important for us to like the Bereans and they're mentioned in the book of Acts. It's why it's so important for us to truly know the scripture. We should be able to have a level of trust that our people who we believe are spiritual authorities and who are speaking on behalf of God and who are making all of these rules and regulations are, are truly wielding God well. But that wasn't what was happening here. For some religious people, no matter what you do, it's never going to be enough for them. And, and I see this so often in religious circles. It's a list of rules. I, I may not be a fair comparison, but I, I grew up independent, fundamental, Baptist. Uh, independent, fundamental, Baptist were the legalists of the legalists. Uh, they they knew how to do legalism well. It was interesting that legalism wasn't just a list of things that, that you couldn't do. It was also a list of things that... It was also a list of people that you couldn't love. And, and more importantly, it was a list of people whom, whom God didn't love because they just hadn't gone far enough. In my church of beginning, one of the, the things that was always clear to me was that we were we were the only ones who God loved. And in our words, that translated to the only ones who were going to heaven. Even, even other Baptists were going to hell. I can remember having conversations across the lunch table with, with people who were Church of God, who were Methodist, and, and I truly believed that they were doomed to an eternity in hell because they did not practice their faith or, or had not gone far enough in their practice as, as I was certain was a requirement. They must have loved me. I'm amazed God loved me. For some people, you're just never going to be able to do enough. So verse 2, Paul and Barnabas, they disagreed with these with these group of men from Judea, these rabble-rousers, arguing vehemently. Finally, the church decides to send Paul and Barnabas directly to Jerusalem, accompanied by some local believers, to talk to the apostles and the elders about this question. And so they say, we've got to figure this out. And the issue is, you, you know, Preach circumcision, no problem. Preach free salvation, chaos. You say, well, Paul Barnabas didn't want to preach circumcision. Well, that's the point, right? If Paul and Barnabas would have just given a list of rules and said, follow this list of rules and God will love you and you will have salvation, then everybody would have been happy, right? If Paul and Barnabas would have just said, here, here, here's one 
two, three, four, and five. Do this, do this, do this, do this. And if they would have just added circumcision in there, well, then everything would have been okay, right? Everything would have been, everything would have been all right. You, you see, you're never going to get in trouble with the religious establishment. You're never going to drag up controversy. You're never going to cause there to be chaos in a church by adding more rules and regulations. If you ask people to do more, yes, I can, I can do this. People want to do something to earn love and God's salvation. People want to do something to be okay with God because it's a, it's a control thing. It's why the Old Testament law worked so well for the Israelites, but worked so badly for God. Because they had a list. And so they knew who was in and who was out. And God looked at the people who were list keepers and said, you reflect my heart less than those who aren't keeping the list well. If Paul and Barnabas were to just simply preach, be circumcised, a lot of people would have been really happy, a lot of religious people. But because they preach that salvation is free, that this list of rules is ridiculous, it ends up in chaos. So verse three, the church sent the delegates to Jerusalem and they stopped along the way in Phoenicia and Samaria to visit the believers. So, so they, they take time along the way to encourage people and build them up as they're trying to get some feedback from the apostles and from the center of the church at that time, which was still in Jerusalem. And they told them much to everyone's joy that the Gentiles too were being converted, that it wasn't just Jews, but that now Gentiles are being converted to it. And with this, we'll pause today with this statement on the danger of false teaching. False teaching is false teaching is difficult oftentimes to ferret out because it sounds so true. Today, we expect the true, false, and dangerous teachers to be the ones who are spreading health and wealth, the ones who are on TV, the ones who are, are preaching uh, maybe a liberal gospel or, or a, a socialist gospel or, or ones who are, you know, removing all the change and just saying, do whatever you want. We say that, that, those, are, that those are the false teachers and be wary of them. And I'm not going to say that there aren't among those who, who we shouldn't be wary of or, or, or perhaps aren't false teachers. But my point here is this, what we see in scripture here in Acts specifically is that type of teacher was not the false teacher. Oftentimes it was the people in scripture and in Acts who were asking for more, the most commitment. Do more in order for God to love you. Just because someone is asking you or telling you that God requires more of you doesn't make it so. The very end of the chapter before this speaks of the grace of God 
Your legalism cannot buy God's grace. Your precision in keeping a religious law book, your legalism, isn't going to bring on God's grace and love for you anymore. Your certainty, perfect thinking, right determination of what is in bounds doctrinally on secondary issues leaves you and I when we place our pen on those things rather than on the free gift of salvation period in great danger
This Bible study on Perspective Shift is brought to you by Christ Table. If you'd like to join us in the study, there's an easy-to-follow guide in the show notes. We'd love to have you join us. You know, 65 million adults in the United States have dropped out of church, and that number will grow by 2.7 million before the end of this year. We here at Christ Table are committed to doing something about that. We're committed to creating a world where the table is once again the center of the home, the center of family life, and especially the center of faith formation again. Our mission? That's simple. To help people eat freely and drink deeply of life and of faith. Find out more about us by going to www.christtable.today. When you get over to christtable.today, be sure to sign up for our email list there. And for those who choose to donate, I have a resource box that I want to send you in the mail as my thanks. Trust me, you're going to like it. By the way, the podcast is available because of the generous donations of our listeners and the incredible community of people who call Christ Table their spiritual home. Join us on our next episode as we continue our conversation on Perspective Shift. And if you'd like to watch these Bible studies live, there's more information on our website about that as well. www.christtable.today Thanks so much for listening. We wouldn't be here without you. Until next time, I'm Pastor Kevin Young, and this is the Christ Table Podcast.